Hello out there in podcast world. This is Renew Gurus, your source for all things energy policy and politics in Missouri and beyond. I'm Executive Director James Owen, coming to you live on tape from Palatial Renew Missouri Studios here in beautiful North Columbia, or I should say the um, best office complex I can come up with for the money I have. <laughs> Joining me in the studio is general counsel and political guru, Tim Opitz. Tim, hello. Hello, James. Also joining us from Kansas City, uh, via the magic of technology, is Philip Frasica, our Kansas City Regional Director, also the uh, producer for Renew Gurus. Hi, Philip. Hey, good morning. Good, good morning. Hello. Good day since it, we don't know what time people are going to be watching this. I mean, I can say we are recording this on November 5th. This is two days at the election. Um, since this is officially the least productive week in recorded history, <laughs> since I'm, I'm, I'm going to be completely candid, I'm sure people are watching uh, their website of choice or they're watching Twitter to see what is going to come of the presidential election. Uh, as we sit here and discuss this, I believe we are waiting on Arizona, Georgia, Pennsylvania, Nevada. Are we still waiting on North Carolina, Tim? North Carolina. Um, they accept ballots that are postmarked on election day as long as they arrive by November 12th. Whoa, that's next Thursday. Yeah. <laughs> and I only know that because next Friday is my birthday. Um, lucky Friday the 13th for me. But um, yeah, so it might be a while before we know what happens with not only the uh, electoral votes from North Carolina, but also for the rather contentious and rather close uh, U.S. Senate race there. Um, but everyone's talking about these national issues. Everyone's talking about uh, the U.S. Senate. Obviously very important. Um, I kind of had this idea to talk about this, um, kind of doing a political wrap about Missouri on this podcast um, after I had sat through a um, kind of a national conference call yesterday uh, when we were all sitting around saying like, well, we don't really know what's going to happen uh, with FERC, uh, you know, kind of the Energy Regulatory Commission at the federal level or the Department of Energy, because we don't know what's going to happen at the federal level. So we just kind of all stared at each other for 30 minutes until we all decided that um, we weren't going to accomplish anything. <laughs> so I thought, well, you know, we do have everything decided here in Missouri. Uh, and maybe that's good for you listening, or maybe that's bad for you listening, but I think it's worth digging into. And so while we are a 501c3, a nonpartisan organization, I think we can still talk a little bit about what happened in Missouri and what we think it means moving forward uh, with uh, policy, um, which I think it's the easy answer is, before we dig into the details, is probably nothing is going to change <laughs> about the electoral landscape or the political landscape in Missouri because the election results did not really move the needle on anything substantial in Missouri. So thanks for joining Renew Gurus this week. I'm James Owen. And no, I'm just kidding. We're not closing this off. We, we need, let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. Okay. So um, Missouri is one of the few states uh, that have uh, gubernatorial elections in like presidential years. Most states save those for off years. We had what was a pretty closely watched governor's race here in the state. Um, Mike Parson, who's the current governor, who ascended to that position because he was elected lieutenant governor and replaced Eric Rydens when he um, ingloriously resigned. Um, he's been governor for like since June of 2018, so a little over two years. 
Um, and he won re-election. He was running against uh, the state auditor, the only statewide elected Democrat, Nicole Galloway. And he won that election against her. And she, you know, listen, I mean, like, I think I can say this. I, I, I've known Nicole Galloway for close to 10 years. I think she's very professional and she's a very capable candidate. Uh, her ascendancy is pretty impressive. She started out as Boone County Collector back in 2011, uh, was appointed as state auditor by Governor Nixon upon the death of Tom Schweik in 2015 and got reelected in 2018 to a full term. Um, she's impressive. She got beat by 20 points. Um, in a state where Trump, President Trump, won 16, 15, 16 points. I think we, it was about 15, 15 points, which is a lot, not as much as it was in 2016 when he won, when President Trump won the electoral votes in Missouri by 19 points. Yeah. Um, and it was yeah. fascinating that he won a, uh, to me anyway, that he won a smaller percentage, but he got 200,000 more votes for him and yeah so it, yeah it really shows how turnout was juiced up this year right and i think you know one of the things i had been saying i don't know if i wrote any of this down i my assumption was that that both sides people that were pro president trump and anti-president trump were going to come out in a lot in big numbers i know that there was a lot of people who believe that only the anti-trump vote would come out in big numbers I never, I never saw that because the enthusiasm for President Trump in rural parts of the state, which is a sizable part of the state, as well as the exurbs. And when I talk about exurbs, I'm talking about um, Franklin County and St. Charles County and St. Louis, Jefferson County and St. Louis metro area, Platte County, Clay County, those places, you still see a lot of enthusiasm for President Trump. Whether you agree with that or not, that enthusiasm is there. And what, and they were gonna go vote. Um, I spent a lot of the past week in Southwest Missouri. I'll just, I'll just, let's get real for a second. My dad, my father, James Douglas, someone passed away unexpectedly last week. I was down in Springfield. I was in the Springfield area for uh, a number, a few days. I'm, I'm back because my sister is helping out. We have a family farm. Uh, I spent a lot of time down there. I saw Trump flags. I saw Trump signs on Friday when I was driving back to Columbia. I saw people standing on overpasses on Highway 54 with Trump flags, with Trump signs, waving and asking people to honk as I went over. I am telling you, there is and was a lot of enthusiasm for our president out in that part of the state, right? Yeah, I, I saw a funny observation uh yesterday and it was if you get endorsed by the kansas city star or the st louis post do you just concede or do you just give it out for election day yeah because uh, i think and that seems to be the state of missouri right now yeah that's yeah because that's okay and that's and listen i mean like i remember you know I, and i don't know if i ever really talk about this very much this is, this is going to be like a big confessional for me on this podcast i've run for office before i think some people know that i ran for state rep in 2006 and 2012 i was going to hang up running uh, after 2012, but then I got appointed to be an associate circuit judge in my home county, Worcester County. So I decided to, to fight that uh, to keep that seat. I lost it. Um, I lost all my races. Um, and the, the sense was I did this in Southwest Missouri. I did this in Springfield for the longest time. I Let me just tell the St. Louis and Kansas City people on here. Springfield Democrats hate you. <laughs> and the reason they hate you is because they think that all the attention in Missouri is focused on the I-70 corridor. They think it is focused on Kansas City, Columbia, and St. Louis, which for a long time, let's be honest, it was, but let's also be honest with the fact that that is where the votes were. 
Now, in 2006, I mean, Claire McCaskill, uh, when she was first elected to the U.S. Senate, made a big point of saying, I'm going to like campaign all throughout Missouri. Uh, Mel Carnahan, when he was governor back in the 90s, uh, who was from Rolla, but had some pretty deep connections in St. Louis, um, he did a pretty good job of kind of keeping rural and suburban and kind of urban voters all connected. And then he died, also unexpectedly, <laughs> 20 years ago, just a couple of weeks ago. Um, and so, but like Springfield Democrats always thought like, well, there's like 40% of us down here in um, Springfield that are a Democrat and no one, you know, no one's paying enough attention. If we only get more attention and more money and more resources down here, why then we'd probably be able to get up to 50%. Well, all right. So that was like 14 years ago when that sentiment was pretty pervasive down there. When Claire McCaskill was able to get 43, 44% of the vote in Greene County, which is where Springfield is, which is the third uh, highest populated city in the state, uh, county in the state. And in 2012, I think she got about 48%. She, she won Green County. She won Green by County. Plurality. By plurality. Yeah, that's right. Um, you know, Mel Carnahan won Green County uh, by plurality in uh, 92. And actually, he won it outright in 92, and he won it at plurality in 96. Um, but here's the thing. <laughs> what I think has happened. Um, so when, you, when, you, when, when we start talking about, like, the turnout, we had a massive amount of turnout in Missouri. Uh, I think it was close to 80%. It was it was 80% in St. Louis County, which was a lot. And when I saw that number, I thought that was going to be pretty good for Democrats. Um, but the thing is, you also saw like 90% turnout in some of these rural counties where you might have 10, 15, 20,000 people living in an entire county. You saw a 90% turnout. And let me tell you something. Back in the day, back 14 years ago, pre-President Trump, I think it's important to say pre-President Trump because this is important in my analysis here. You might have rural counties that would go 39, 40, 41% Democrat. You might. And those numbers were enough to couple with the numbers in St. Louis, Columbia, Kansas City, and parts of Springfield um, to like help give Democrats an advantage. Now, when you look at rural counties, like let's say Webster County, where I just was, um, you know, you're looking at Donald Trump getting 70, 75% of the vote there and the, D Joe Biden getting 30% or 25%. And look, if you, if you're going to vote for president Trump, you're going to vote down ticket Republican. There's not a whole lot of, uh, of, of split ticket voters in rural Missouri. And they're going to vote for people like Mike Parson, who, by the way, got 2000 more votes in the state than Donald Trump did. Did you know that Tim? Mike Parson? Yeah. Uh, I did not know that. I didn't look that up. Look that up. Uh, You're going to say something, but I've, I've well, literally yeah, been so going so off on so a tangent. <laughs> with, with the shift, and I've noticed that too, James, the shift in the rural counties that, you know, even Claire McCaskill won in, in 2012 for re-election. Yeah. And she was able to get, you know, high 20s, low 30s. And that was enough to put her over the top. Um, yeah, yeah. In addition with the large margins in, in the yeah. urban areas. Um, but since then, we've started to see these rural areas sort of shift down to um, <laughs> low teens. Yeah, uh, yeah in some instances, and yeah. And so it's, it, it's death by, uh, not death by 114 paper cuts. Paper cuts <laughs> right, or, That's how many counties we have in Missouri. Um, and then uh, I, I guess just to, to put a finer point on this, as an example, Iron County. Yeah. 
Uh, I was down there a few weekends ago. A beautiful um, part of the world, by the way, folks. Yeah. Um, we uh, went hiking in that area. It's, you know, the St. Francis Mountains. It's great. Very um, pretty. But in 2008, Iron County went for Barack Obama in the general election. Which was a little bit of a surprise. It was a surprise enough where the St. Louis Post-Dispatch wrote a column about it, um, by the way. <laughs> yeah. So in flash forward to 2020, mm. uh, in Iron County, yes. uh, President Trump won 78% of the vote. Yeah, that's you know, a lot. <laughs> there are only about 4,500 voters in that county. But right. I mean, 78% is, uh, is a lot. Is a hard margin when you add that up 100 times, right? Yeah. And I mean, Alyssa, also, I mean, like, look, Southeast Missouri used to be like what we call a Democratic area. It has not been a Democratic area for a long time. I think with the advent of, you know, kind of Reagan style conservatism, you know, minimal government, that sort of thing, deregulation, you've seen a shift there in the past 40 years where it's almost entirely voting um, Republican at the federal level. Uh, more recently, Northeast Missouri, which is, um, well, for those of you outside of the state, Hannibal, which is where Mark Twain wrote a lot of his uh, books. That's where he's from, Samuel Clemens. That used to be a real big Democratic uh, stronghold. Um, you saw almost every county up there vote majority Democrat. And now they are voting in those same numbers. And, and I think it's not just President Trump. I mean, Clearly, President Trump has, among his supporters, very ardent fans um, who not just like him, but like the fact that they think that he is um, that he is, you know, uh, is 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 fighting a rigged system that has been bad for them, bad for farming, bad for small town of Missouri, and that he is uh, he's only being hindered by the media, by Democrats, et cetera. And. This is a national narrative that's been going on for about 20 years where it used to be that you could see conservative Democrats get elected in Missouri. You had a lot of conservatives from Southeast Missouri, from Northeast Missouri, who might have been pro-life, might have been Catholic, but they were still Democrats and they would get elected. Now those people don't exist anymore. And to a certain degree, you could say that there are elements of the Democratic Party who have said we don't even want them here in the party. Yeah, there was kind of a, a, a Fandango kerfuffle about that in 2018. Fandango? Um, is that the movie website? Maybe that is. Hold on, let me look this up. I think it's the term <laughs> when there is a, I was going to say a cluster blank, but. Um, oh, they, we're keeping this PG, yeah, Tim. Um, there was a, <laughs> not to get too far into the weeds, but I, um, usually um, the parties will come up with a party platform in an election year. Yes. Um, which every candidate proceeds to ignore and run what they think will help them win. Yeah, I've, I've always uh, found party platforms to be totally useless. So so it's a lot of partisan infighting, frankly, on both sides a little bit. But in 2018, the Democratic Party in Missouri had a big issue over they of, did. Uh, abortion uh, okay. access. Can I, so, can I cut you off for a second, Tim? I found the definition of Fandango, which they say is a lively Spanish dance for two people, typically accompanied by castanets and a tambourine. I thought that was flamenco. This is Fandango. Okay. Oh, 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 Tim, there's a second one. A foolish or useless actor thing. Yeah, there we go. That's oh! What was, that's what I was referring to. <laughs> well... I'm glad I learned that today. I'm going to totally use that. Uh, maybe I'll even use it in this um, in this podcast uh, email. Who knows? Um, what were you saying? 
Well, I'm about to talk about, <laughs> you mentioned that there aren't a lot of uh, pro-life uh, Democrats. Democrats that are, yes. that are elected anymore. Yes. Yeah. Um, and there was a push in 2018 <laughs> in the Democratic platform. Yeah. Said that everybody ignores anyway. Yep. Um, I shouldn't say that, but. They do. Everybody ignores it. I ran for office. Literally, I, I couldn't, if you put a gun in my head, I wouldn't be able to tell you what the Democratic Party platform was in either one of those years. Well, uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, realistically, both parties' platforms turn out to be the same mushy language. Like, yeah. we support jobs, we support freedom, you know, right. that sort of thing. But, right. Unless you're in 2020 when the Republicans just say, like, we're just supporting Donald Trump. Basically. On the national level. On the national I, level. I, I think on the state level, they still develop the platform, but. Sure. Okay. You're right. Because I remember, because I, yeah, because I, I mean, forgive me. I know we're going to have people listening to this. I remember they, the New York Times did a piece about the Missouri Democrats being upset about this. And I remember thinking to myself, um, what is this accomplishing? I mean, I really, I mean, like, I, you know, because I mean, listen, I understand that people are very adamant about reproductive rights, about abortion rights, um, whatever you want to call it, pro-choice policies. I get it. Um, but I don't really know, is that how you, is that how you pitch this? If you're in a state like Missouri, if you're in a conservative state like Missouri, is that your best foot forward, Tim Opitz? Let's, let's not call you general counsel right now. Let's just ask Tim Opitz the, the guy. Um, it hasn't worked very well so it, far for that for that party, right? It has not. So um, and I, I think the proof is in the pudding there. You know? So then, when I see these same people getting upset that like uh, Nicole Galloway loses by twenty points or Donald Trump wins by fifteen points, and then I say, "But you are wanting to, you know, basically you you basically said to." Um, more conservative, more moderate voters that we think that any kind of nuance to this is offensive or problematic and we don't want nuance or we don't want um, kind of this more moderate language and so we just want to just put it all out there and we think that will convince people in Moberly or Marshfield or wherever it is you're from that you know Democrats care about the same things you do. Tim, feeling good about this conversation so far? <laughs> well, I, I think that there's... That answers uh, that question. <laughs> there isn't a... It's hard for some people who uh, get in their own silos, be it Democrats or Republicans, right. to uh, be exposed to the other side. I mean, I'm, I'm consider myself fortunate that I kind of have one foot in each silo. Yeah, you're uh, a big city guy who lives on the farm. Yeah, right? so I, uh, I do get to uh, interact with people who, um, yeah. who think the world is gonna end if Donald Trump is reelected, but I also interact yeah. with people who think the world is not gonna, it's, it's gonna- Flourish. It's gonna end if Donald Trump loses, right? Right, and I, so, and I talk to those people too, and, and yeah. Gen you know, generally, it, sometimes I have to take a step back and realize people are cross-pressured. Um, there's different things they yeah. care about. You know, some of these people will say, well, how could somebody support Donald Trump? Um, and there might be one particular issue that he is uh, in agreement with them on, but they don't like whatever he does. And then other people 
hate his personality, but might like his uh, approach. I mean, yeah, we're getting a little more national here. I, I know, but I, I think, I, I but I, think, I don't want to get there. But I'm saying voters are cross pressured, and and I think it's good to understand that you know, um, uh, people out there aren't trying to eat children. <laughs> right. I mean, I, but I think that's getting to my point, Tim, that uh, we have seen in the past 20 years a nationalization of local politics. You, you used to be able to be a conservative Democrat, but I think the way that cable news works and the way the Internet works and the way social media works is you are immediately subjected to national positions on almost everything. So your local politician almost gets lumped into that very same definition of like, what is a Democrat? What is a Republican? When it used to be a little more distinguishable. Don't you think? Yeah, and I don't think that's a very, I think your assessment is right and I don't think it's a healthy assessment. It's not. And but, I, don't, I don't think it's a very conservative, well, conservative in, in the traditional sense because usually you think federalism, you think local control, that sort right. of thing. And you would think that you would want people who are responsive to local issues. Right, it does not seem like that is how things have shaken out. No, no. right, I think, yeah, I mean, I, and I just think that if you want someone who is a state senator who is like looking at things from a national lens as opposed to a regional lens or a local lens, that's ultimately going to lead to worse representation. And I want to say something that's really controversial here. I think maybe we might have been better off when we get a new newspaper every day and like watch 30 minutes of news as opposed to what we're doing right now. Looking at our phones constantly. Looking at our phones constantly. And literally, I believe that everyone who watches Fox News or MSNBC I'm going to put them in both there. I think they're literally having their brains rotted out, just like they warned us we would do when we were playing too many video games when we were a kid. Yeah, Mario Kart. Uh, <laughs> Mario Kart is the real uh, gateway drug to... Uh, <laughs> because I games. think, because uh, God love them, and they're probably listening to this. I got family members who listen to MSNBC all the time, and they are asking about something that I literally cannot distinguish. And I listen, I follow current events a lot, but they saw something on Rachel Maddow the same way that like when President Trump was kind of trying to like goad Joe Biden about like kind of this like Hunter Biden thing at the last debate, which I think was only decipherable to people who watch Fox News all the time. And that is maybe works well for three or four million people uh, that watch either one of those respective TV show stations, but TV stations, cable news channels. I am the oldest 42 year old you ever met. Um, but I think that's a problem. <laughs> yeah, they're too siloed. Right? I think I have the same problem with people from my hometown who don't want to go to downtown Springfield because they think it's riddled with crime, which by the way, it's not. It's the same people I do who will not leave their dive bars in Tower Grove and will not leave their wine bars from Waldo. Hi, please give me money if you go to either one of those places. <laughs> uh, Yeah, you know, you know, I mean, we're describing it like it's a new phenomenon, and it's it's. But it's a hyper it's, version of a phenomenon, it's right? It's hyper, but yeah, but, I mean, we've always had these sorts of um, uh, silos, you know. Yeah. I, I like. Uh, I, so I lived in Arkansas for a few years, and uh, I'm Catholic, and in the. I can't. Part, I can't. Did they ever call you a statue worshiper, Tim? Uh, I don't think so, but in some parts of the South, I've heard some Catholics uh, in Southwest Missouri get called that to their face. <laughs> they, yeah, they, they, they're, they're sort of a, uh, I guess they think that the Catholic Church is evil or something. Or, or they or, do. Or a long time ago they did. Well, they um, think that you worship the Pope. There were um, 
people they do. I got who, taught that in Sunday school class. Uh, so, so there were people who would relay anecdotes about, you know, what they thought, like, like, oh, you're Catholic. Well, you know, <laughs> until I was 15 years old, I thought Catholics had cloven feet, like, like, uh, like the devil. Did someone really say that to you? Yeah, they didn't ask if I had them, but they oh, thought they said yeah. that they grew up thinking that. Yeah, they, they, they did. And it's like, well, because they were in their own insular thing. Yeah. And, and they thought, I guess these Catholics from Ireland or whatever were there to, I don't know, eat their children. Uh, I mean, yeah, yes. I mean, like that. So it's, so it's not a new phenomenon. Well, I mean, that's right. I mean, like in this whole hyperpartisanship of media, like, okay, folks, I, I fancy myself as a as a, a person who reads history. I always like get amused when I read like uh, about politicians from the 1850s who are literally the president had to pick out the publisher of like their party's newspaper. <laughs> Like they did that back in those days. Like, it, and so like this idea that like Fox News and MSNBC is some alien concept, it's not. We used to literally have partisan newspapers. That's why you still have newspapers around Missouri that are called like the so-and-so Democrat or the so-and-so Republican. There, that's a, that is a leftover from when those were literally organs of like a party apparatus. Right. Now you have podcasts. Now we have podcasts like Renew Gurus, which I well, hope that you really. subscribe to on your on your popular uh, podcast. I was um, thinking more networks. like you have, I don't know. Pod Save America? Pod Save America. Or, or, um, or, 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 or Philip, you strike me as a Chapo Trap House guy, are you? Um, no, more uh, Pod Save America. Oh, you're okay. Well, good for you. I think maybe Andrew, or I shouldn't talk about him because he's not on this podcast, but I think he's kind of a Chapo guy. We should I've, call him. I think he's off. He's off today. I let him take off, so he'll be really upset when he hears this because I have my own opinion about those guys too. I uh, do follow it, huh? but I I do follow it. But for political takes, I prefer Positive America. So oh, okay, well, good for you. I don't watch any. I don't listen to any of that. It's well, hard. and it's hard to listen to any podcast other than this one. <laughs> Boy, <laughs> from your lips to God's ears, Tim. <laughs> Well, I have a, a question to, to pose to you, gentlemen. Um, so when looking at our results here in Missouri, the yeah. lieutenant governor, secretary of state, state treasurer, and attorney general uh, candidates all received more votes than Parson did for governor. Uh, and in that did, same Parson? Oh, yeah. yeah. And Galloway received more votes and, and a higher percentage than all of the uh, Democratic opponents for those positions I just named. Yeah. Okay. So like, I think Galloway ended up getting like 39.7% of the vote. Those, um, those other positions, because yes, good point. All of, all of our statewide offices, except for state auditor were up and all the Democrats got about 35, 36% of the vote, somewhere between there. Not great. I mean, especially not great considering for Democrats four years ago uh, at the 2016 election, every position except for lieutenant governor was held by a democrat four years ago in in fall of 2016. Was it yeah and candor was secretary of state and coster was uh, attorney general and galloway was auditor and jay nixon was governor and pete kinder was lieutenant governor still and he's the only republican and now there are there's only one democrat who's still a statewide officeholder, and that still remains to be Nicole Galloway, who is state auditor, because her election is in off years. And if you're asking me, why do they do it like that? The answer is, I don't know.
We don't know. We don't know. Okay, but they do. So she's still the only statewide officer who's a Democrat in Missouri. All right. And that is a reversal of fortune that is really substantial. Especially considering if we have older people listening to this podcast that can remember, as I remember when I first started getting involved with politics in the state, we used to be a swing state. (laughs) We were like a big swing state 20 years ago. And now we are not. No, we're not a bellwether anymore. We're not a bellwether. And I guess maybe we weren't a swing state. We were more like a bellwether, right? Like, because I think other than when we voted for Adelaide Stevenson, uh, we had always voted for the winner. We don't set trends in the state, we follow them. <laughs> Which if you're also wondering why we sometimes have trouble with renewable energy issues, well, it's that same, that's that same philosophy that's affecting us there as well. Despite our great efforts and despite the great resources we get from our supporters. Comment, Tim? We're the show me state. We are the, yeah, boy, aren't we? <laughs> I mean, we do have like some, I mean, like you think, okay, so like we also like, cause I think there was like a lot of national attention on the Missouri 2nd, which was in St. Louis County, St. Charles County, I think parts of Jefferson County. Um, our friend, uh, someone I worked with uh, when I was public counsel, Senator Jill, State Senator Jill Shue, ran against uh, Congresswoman Ann Wagner, which everyone kind of thought was going to flip that, that seat. Uh, you know, Ann Wagner got 40, uh, 51% and, and, and Jill Shue only got 45%. Uh, that actually, the, uh, the 2018 results were actually better than um, that for the Democrat. I think it was like Court Vaughn. Austin or something like that, who ran against Ann Wagner then? I think he lost by about 20,000 votes. And then- Yeah, uh, she did better this time. Senator Shoup lost by about 30,000. Yeah, yeah. Uh, same way with, I think, some of these state Senate races. Uh, there was a, there was a, there was kind of three state Senate races that were really highly watched. The first, the 15th and the 19th, the first, where you saw uh, Scott Sifton uh, terminated out of St. Louis, kind of the um, kind of South St. Louis County. Um, that was uh, held by Democrat Doug Beck. Um, the 15th, which is currently held by Senator Andrew Koenig, they, a lot of people believe that uh, Representative Deb Lavender would take over that spot. She lost. Uh, Andrew Koenig ran a pretty incredible race to win that because there was a lot of people who just left him for dead. And then in the 19th, which is uh, Columbia, which is where we are, Boone County, very liberal, but that is coupled with um, Cooper County to the West, which is not. <laughs> and uh, Senate Majority Leader uh, Caleb Rowden was in a pretty tight race with uh, Judy Baker, a former state rep. Um, I saw polls that showed that was tied and he ended up winning 51% to 48 he won by about 3,000 votes. By about 3,000 right. I think that was a larger margin than 16 when he ran against um, Steve Yeah. Weber. So again, a reminder that like you had a lot of Democrats come out to vote, but you also had a, you had more Republicans come out and vote, or you had people that were not engaged in the process in 2016 who have been energized one way or the other, whether they like Republicans or they like Democrats, they came out and vote, which let's be honest, is a good thing. I'm glad that we broke a lot of records. It didn't turn out the way that if you were to ask me, James Owen as a person, not James Owen as an officer of a not-for-profit organization, I had different feelings about who I wanted to win some of these races. But I don't care uh, how it worked because more people voted, more people were engaged in the process, and that's good. Isn't it? And even if I personally think that like, Joe Biden is going to win the Electoral College, and I think that's great. I still don't think the Electoral College is very helpful. (laughs) I can sit here and say that even if, like, I think that, you know, someone I might have personally voted for 
uh, is going to win it. And like everyone else was just kind of on that bandwagon because the people they didn't like won it. I just think it doesn't make any sense. Um, like I think if the founding fathers were around today, they'd be like, why are you still using the constitution we wrote? Shouldn't you have had a couple more conventions about this since then? <laughs> well, we've, we're not entirely using it. We've had lots of amendments. I mean, not lots of them. Well, don't we have 27? 27 <laughs> amendments, right? Uh, and, and many of those were actually voted, the first 10 were voted for by the founding fathers. Uh, that's right. And one of them was a repeal of another one. <laughs> Out of the 17 after that, right? Yeah. All right, um, just check it. Yeah. So, <laughs> you're, you're talking about, you know, the general um, uh, specific races. We did have two ballot issues. In Ooh, let's talk about those because those are important too, like those especially two, Amendment 3. Uh, Amendment 3 was important. I th I, for me, sort of a novelty one, uh, which was the Amendment 1, which was term limits mm. for all of the uh, statewide officers who don't currently have two term limits. The retirement part, the retirement plan for term limited lawmakers, as I like to call it, because right now, only governor and only treasurer are term limited. We, you can only serve those for two terms. Everyone else that's statewide in Missouri is you can serve as long as you get elected every four years. But right. this was going to make all of them term limited, and it lost. It lost, which was amazing. And, and yeah. for me, I think it's good news, because I think uh, term limits are terrible. Terrible. The only term, <laughs> the only term limit I think is good as an election, right? I mean, the people should be able to choose who they want to represent. That's right. Um, in, in my view. Um, That's right. But uh, there had been a huge movement, probably for the last 20 or 30 years, to have term limits. Yeah. And usually everywhere they passed. Uh, in 92, we voted on term limits as a constitutional amendment, uh, which was overwhelming for lawmakers, which did not go into effect until 2002. Um, and it and it led to the Democratic Democratic Party losing the majority in the House um, in Missouri, and it's and it's been that way since. Um, yeah, I mean, and I think if you look at Jefferson City right now, uh, and you see people who are only in the House for eight years and only in the Senate for eight years at the maximum, at the maximum, um, it is my belief. I'm going to get in trouble again. It's my belief that staffers who work for them and lobbyists who work on issues have more control over that building than lawmakers do as a result of that. That's just my opinion. I mean, I, I, I think that <laughs> I think they have more control than they would otherwise, right? I don't uh, think yeah. I don't think that they're yeah. in charge, but I think that you lose some institutional knowledge. Yeah. Um, I mean. You do see some, um, like Senator Wallingford. Um, yeah, I believe he ran. He, so he served his terms in the Senate, and, he and then I believe he ran as a, a member of the House of Representatives. So his and he got elected to the House. So his institutional knowledge will remain there. But you know, I is is there any uh, good reason for why he should yeah. have to switch bodies? I don't know. I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I I've actually worked with Wayne Wallingford on. I kind of worked with him more when I was at public council because there was a kind of a controversial issue down there with the water system. And I really liked working with him. I thought he was a really good state senator. I thought he represented that area really well. And for the fact that he had to leave that Senate position because of this arbitrary uh, term limit doesn't make a lot of sense to me. He clearly wanted to continue serving because he's running for the House. And I can I can say most people do not want to go from the Senate to the House. 
I, I mean, I think that you go from a body of 34, we have a lot of autonomy to a body of 163 where the leadership run more of that process. Definitely. Um, yeah, which speaking of which, okay, so like the point being, so with amendment one, that failed. But then, you know, I guess what surprised me was amendment three passed, which was a kind of a, a legislative driven repudiation of clean Missouri for 2018, which did a lot of things. It put campaign uh, contributions capped. It limited lobbying gifts to $5, but it also more importantly created a nonpartisan demographer to draw legislative districts, which is a really controversial subject, a really problematic process of gerrymandering. And it was designed to make the process more competitive. That passed with about 62% of the vote in 2018. Um, this version reverted the uh, process of the demographer back to the legislature um, and it won. 5149. 60,000 votes. 60,000 votes. Uh, there was really not a lot of money put into the yes vote. Um, the clean Missouri people, as we'll call them from 2018, fought really hard and had some really good advertising on this, but uh, they lost. Um, and the pro Amendment 3 folks, like the Missouri Farm Bureau, uh, they, they won. And now, I don't know if that, because I think there's some legal challenges. I think there's some belief that there's some legal issues uh, with how Amendment 3 was written, how it can be implemented, because I think it doesn't really count like voters in a way that some people have said is constitutional. Like it only like counts like voters, not citizens, when, when drawing these legislative maps, which I think is a bit of a problem constitutionally. I don't know. Uh, you're not it's, it's Chuck Hatfield. It's, it's, it's whatever court says. Oh uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, the, I mean, um, I think it'll. I think there'll be some channel. I think there'll be some court challenges moving forward with it, and you'll probably see some modification to that. There, I would suspect. There, yeah, there. I'm sure there will be court challenges, but it, you know, at the end of the day, I think it's still going to be the um, commission made up of legislators who determine what districts are. And ultimately, as as a reporter for St. Louis Public Radio, is kind of harps on pretty significantly he always says well it always ends up getting redrawn by appellate judges anyway which is which is true i mean uh, that is normally where that ends up there's challenges to it people don't like it and then a group of appellate judges end up reworking it to a certain degree um <laughs> you know it's 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 a great uh, lawyer uh, employment project, I guess. Yeah, there's like about four or five lawyers working in this state that every time one of these ballot initiatives happens, they make a lot of money. And hey, God love them. Good for them. You know, know. who you are. Hey, we've gotten involved in that. We didn't make any money. We didn't make any money off of that. That's right. Yeah, because the only thing we were going to get out of that, Tim Opitz, was we were going to have to pay a big lawyer bill. So so I, I pay you a regular salary. You pay me a regular salary. I don't pay you enough. I don't pay any of you enough. Um. So that was a big deal. And, and to me, that was a bigger deal because the way you draw these legislative districts every 10 years has an impact on who gets elected, how we vote on them. And that is uh, that is going to continue as it has, as opposed to having this kind of um, nonpartisan demographer. Um, at least that was the idea. I think the uh, demographer gets picked by the state auditor, which people had trouble with because currently that's a Democrat who gets to pick them. And they didn't like that. Yeah, I mean, I, I think ultimately the language that made that amendment a success this year was, for some reason, Clean Missouri 
uh, only reduced uh, contributions from from lobbyists to five dollars. Yeah, and so that left the window, uh, which five dollars. I I don't understand the reasoning behind it, I, but I I've heard that it was you know a cup of coffee rule, like somebody can yeah. buy a cup of coffee, that sort yeah. of thing. And um, so this amendment three this year got rid of that. Right. And so they were able to say in the ballot summary, you know, eliminates, you know, donations from lobbyists or something like that. Uh, and it reduced the uh, lobbying caps, uh, yeah. gift caps to nothing. Okay. And I will tell you in talking to some people who were engaged with Klimas or I think they see a, an error now in hindsight was they should have just banned them all together at first. I, I get why they did it. I mean, I get why they did it. Um, but because well, I think you should be able to buy someone a cup of coffee if you want to talk to them about an issue. It, yeah, it was it was a practical solution, but it may not have been a political uh, winner. Right? In, right. I mean, so I don't know. I mean, where does that go from here? Who knows? I mean, I think um, I think that it is. It probably stays the same. And I think and I think that is if you're talking about like, well, do we foresee anything foreseeably changing in the political landscape in Missouri in the you know, anytime soon, the answer to that is going to be given that vote. The answer is no. Yeah, no. Because I think, you know, because I've already had questions about, because we get questions about this all the time. Hey, is Renew Missouri going to do another, you know, ballot initiative? Are they going to do that? Look, we've looked at taking a run at that ever since I've been executive director. And I'm almost certain we probably looked at that every year since 2008. <laughs> when we first passed the renewable energy standard and you know now i gotta say i'll just be candid with the uh with the podcast audience of 10 utility executives who listen to this i don't know i don't know i mean like i, I we've done polling on it. it looks really positive do i think polling is very accurate i've seen i saw polls that showed uh trump was gonna was gonna win missouri by five points and that was only off by 10. <laughs> I mean, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I think there, there is something about polling now that has been off. We've seen it two elections in a row. Well, three, because I think if you look at 2018, I mean, there is nothing about the Florida results. If you look at, like, say, Florida, the results show Democrats winning in Florida, and they absolutely did not. Yeah, but you so so in in Missouri and in um, Florida. Mm -hmm. For example, you know, where you saw Republicans win, you've seen um, like Josh Hawley in 2018, very conservative. Yep. Won a Senate seat. Yep. But also that was a year that Queen Missouri initially passed. And you got a minimum wage increase and you saw the legalization of medicinal marijuana. And I think <laughs> my years are kind of uh, hazy on me, but I think that's the year it wasn't that same election, but it was in August where they repealed the right to work. Uh, law, right. which was also August, very a democratic issue. And this August, we um, voted to expand um, Medicaid, Medicaid, which is now going to be decided by a bunch of people who were against the expansion of Medicaid, who the voters also voted for. So, well, <laughs> I mean, the voters, I think this is just evidence that voters everywhere, maybe especially in Missouri, mm. are cross pressure. You know, mm. they like Republicans on some things, but if they're like, oh, this is a particular issue that I like, that they're willing to go ahead and vote for that. Could it be that the Democrats are just bad at reaching out to voters? And like, if, if like voters are saying like, we like these very democratic leaning topics like 
increasing the minimum wage, uh, more access to medicinal marijuana, um, Medicaid expansion. I mean, why is it that Democrats are unable to get voters to say, oh, you're the party that's for this. We're going to vote for you. Sometimes it's personality. Sometimes mm. it's I think it goes back to that nationalization. It's nationalization. I, I think it goes back to the fact that there are people out there in Missouri who like expanding Medicaid, who also don't like abortion, who like, exp who like the idea of you know, protecting workers' rights, but might not might see um, expanding rights for one group as being a limitation on theirs. Because one thing I've always said, I was trying to explain this to somebody who's not, a friend of mine last night who wasn't super into politics. I said, you know, I think one of the issues that, you know, motivates Trump voters and might motivate conservative voters is they see our rights in this country as a finite thing. That if someone else gets rights, that is a deprivation of rights for them. And so if you give rights to immigrants, that is taking away a right from somebody else. Or if you give rights to gays to get married or to not be discriminated against, that takes away rights from your religious principles. But you're, you're saying that that's the truth? I'm saying that is what conservative voters believe. No, I'm not saying that's the truth. Well, I, I think that rights are an infinite. Let's be clear, look, Renew Guru listeners. I think that like if you give people rights, the more rights, the merrier. You know that there's, I think it was Ronald Reagan, but <laughs> Who? You know, Ronald Reagan, you know, and he was, he was the great communicator. Wasn't mm, that what his nickname? That's was? what they said. Yes. <laughs> there was a, uh, I guess a, and, and I wasn't alive. Well, was alive? No, I wasn't alive. Um, oh, screw you! I was born when Jimmy Carter was president. But he, he was talking about. Uh, he, he was talking about. Uh, of course, you were alive when you were born in what? Eighty six. Yeah, you were alive when, when he Ronald said it. Oh, okay. He, he was okay. talking about. Um, okay. Rather than slicing up the pie, growing the pie. Right. Mm, yeah. So, I think if if people want to be successful in these cross pressured voters um, who have concerns like you just described. Yeah. I think the message is probably we need to talk less about slicing up the pie and talk about growing the pie. Mm. You know, Everybody can have more, basically. Uh, I mean, that's what I think, right? Like, I mean, yeah, you know, to me, I know there is a lot of pressure from people like with our group that we should be talking about saving the planet, protecting the climate. And listen, I personally agree with all that. But I think in a state like Missouri, you have to talk about this as an economic opportunity because we are suffering economically in most of the state. And especially in places where renewable energy can help with that. And so to me, I think that applies to that whole growing the pie concept is that if you are able to find a way for uh, these solutions that we're talking about, for some of these larger problems that we're trying to deal with, that they that that will help people generally. And not just be something that like I feel good about or that makes me feel like I'm doing something altruistic. I mean, that is important. And I think, okay, so you talk about, yeah, growing the pie. I mean, yeah, I think, but I don't think, like, if you're like a supporter of Ronald Reagan or of his principles, I don't even think that they believe that anymore. I think they believe, yeah, that the pie gets split up and they get less of it. That's, I mean, right? That's what they think. Yeah, so, yeah. so they've developed sort of the inverse. Well, well they kind of thought that before, but mm -hmm. um, just the, the sides have reversed, right? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, um, and so I don't know. I don't know, like, I mean, I don't know how you solve that problem because I think ultimately that is, if you want to know, if you were to ask me why I think President Trump is popular in a state like Missouri, it is because people see what he's talking about as the talk he has about immigration or about um, this law and order stuff and that sort of thing. I think they see that as a, that is directly impacting that the idea that somebody who believes that there should be some police reform is taken away from their ability to be safe, as an example, which I don't think that is true. Now, I know I'm getting into something like far afield of what I am paid to do here, but I mean, I'm trying to explain what I think is going on in Missouri, because I can tell you that in places like Webster County, they did see that as somewhat of an existential threat, what was going on in Kansas City and St. Louis. I don't know why, because it didn't seem like it would or should be, but that's how they saw it. Yeah, I, I mean, are you mentally trying to figure out what we should edit out of this podcast, Tim? <laughs> We're doing it live. We're doing it live. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so let's talk about, I guess, the prospects of, of what these election results in Missouri mean for um, renewable energy here. Okay, that's okay. fine. Yeah. Well, I, I will tell you, like, if you were to ask me if anything looks different today, versus what it looked like before this election, I don't really think it does. The statewide level. And yeah. we were making some progress there. I mean, we've been making this kind of small incremental progress, which frustrates people that are from more like progressive parts of the country that we work with, but it is moving in the right direction. Right, so, I mean, we're working on, we're regularly involved in our utilities integrated resource plans, right? Yes. And I don't see how a, Galloway administration would have advanced uh, yeah. the utilities resource planning needs any differently than a Parson administration. Would. Well, I think it is also like who is on the Public Service Commission, which is appointed by the government. Right? Uh, yeah, ultimately that would have some impact, but they would have had to be confirmed by a Senate, Republican Senate. That's right. So, That's right. so it's going to be somebody that would be palpable right. to a Republican Senate. So it's going, yeah. I, I, I do I, think I, I don't. I don't know that. I th I think what we're going to see on renewable energy development in Missouri <clears throat> is going to be driven by the favorable economics of renewable energy, um, advancing technologies and storage, and uh, hopefully, um, I know our our governor reelected and current governor, yeah, Carson talks about workforce development, and I know right. that I think that that is an area hopefully maybe with these rural areas. Mm -hmm. And I know, James, you've been trying to work on this, but getting oh. rural areas to see the workforce development and the economic impacts that renewable energy yeah. can have on these regions. I, I, I will still maintain that is the strongest argument we can continue making at the statewide level. Going back to the point from yesterday, yes, because we are, in an, in, we are working on policy that is so vastly affected by how other states operate, and by how the federal government regulates some of this, that the, the control of the Senate and who is in um, who is in charge of picking out who the Department of Energy is going to be, that is substantial. I mean, that that does have a bigger impact, in my opinion, or how we're going to be dealing with COVID relief if we get another package deal, which I heard there was rumors that that might be coming again pretty quickly. Um, how that gets allocated, does that have an impact on rural electric cooperatives? Does it have an impact on how we? invest in infrastructure. Those things are going to have a far greater impact than what you could see at the statewide level. 
and we just don't know yet unless we've had news since we've been recording this which is i look i know this is a really long podcast yeah so. I, I mean I, <laughs> I think that on the national level like you're talking about that um it looks like that republicans are going to maintain the senate so people's dreams of uh or fears of some sort of broad um clean energy plan yeah um probably aren't going to happen probably not right? right i mean there might be some movement at the margin you might see different FERC commissioners you might see you know uh, different priorities from the executive departments at the federal level um but but i don't um envision some two trillion dollar um investment yeah, that's not going to happen no that's right that's not going to happen so because and I, i'll tell you you me philip uh, everybody in this group has sat in on these national phone calls where there's been a lot of pre-discussion about that, that sort of thing. My thing was like, well, I don't know if that's going to happen or not. Right. <laughs> um, I mean, it's just, yeah. I mean, this is, uh, this is hard. It's <laughs> uh, as, as uh, I think it was David Oxelrod would say it, hard things are hard. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I, I think it is easy. And that's another thing. I think people watch uh, things on the media. And they, they don't understand why things don't happen quickly enough with these things that we see as urgent problems. Um, I can promise you this group. I mean, I certainly know this group works a lot and we work overtime and we, we do a lot, a lot um, to just try to get the incremental progress that we're making. Um, and I know that is disappointing. I can promise you it's disappointing to me, um, but it is, it, we don't work in the West Wing. When I say that, I mean the TV show <laughs> where Aaron Sorkin can write a speech that convinces people like, oh, you know, I might've been wrong about this. You think that if um, the administration's change. Yeah. If Joe Biden wins, if, if that changes, yeah. Um, you know, I, I know after, I think it was Bush was elected, George W. Bush, w, yeah. when the West Wing came out and it was kind of like this like fantasy for like liberals to watch like what would happen if there was a liberal president. Yeah. Do you think that they're going to come out with like a Trump version of that, like a, <laughs> like a West Wing, but for like a very conservative president? Uh, I might watch it. I you you think so? I mean, was that what they were, they were, I think that honestly was what they were doing that last season with them. Uh, with Alan Alda playing kind of the McCain character. I can't remember his name now, but Alan Alda was playing the Republican against, I remember Jimmy Smith was playing Matt Santos. And that was the whole thing before uh, the guy who played Leo McGarry died was that um, Alan Alda's character was going to win the presidency. And I always got the sense they were going to transition into like a Republican version of the West Wing. Really? Yeah. Because, because they, the writers saw yeah. Barack Obama winning. Yeah, because, because I mean, remember, okay, because like the West Wing came out like I think 99 when it originally came out because that was like a liberal version of Clinton without the scandal, without the sex. I mean, that was the whole thing about Martin Sheen's character was he was a descendant of, you know, the founding fathers from New Hampshire and one of them. He won a Nobel Prize, I think. I think it was something absurdly stupid like that. And he was like this, I mean, like his big scandal and that was that he had MS and was hiding it from people. Like that was the big scandal in that way because I think they think the writers said we wanted to inject a scandal that was not associated with something tawdry, right? And so that was what they came up with, which was actually a pretty good narrative, I thought. But it was this whole idea that there was some ideal liberal out there that was 
going to be able to like give these kind of proclamations that would be like, hmm, you know, that's a really good point. Why don't real politicians do stuff like that? Which is a fantasy. Like, look, that's a TV show and TV shows are great and you should watch TV shows and that should be something that's entertaining to you. Right. But it is not how politics works. <laughs> like, I get yeah, it's how entertainment works. But you know and what show... <laughs> Yeah. You know what show still stands up to me as like a great example of what politics is really like is Veep. I love Veep. Okay. Because I was reminded this morning on Twitter of like when she was running for president and they, they, they were going into Nevada for a recount. They were going to argue for the recount. But then as it started, <laughs> they found that they were ahead. So they yeah. started like literally making a legal argument against the recount. Yeah. And if this doesn't sound like what's going on literally right now as we record this, like that show, I think completely understood the dysfunction and the pettiness of like American politics. Yeah. And it was because it was from a Scottish guy. Arnando Inorichu, I think is his name. He, he, he created the- um, That's a Scottish name? Yeah, that's him. I'm unfamiliar with- Okay, well, he also did, he also did uh, In the Loop, he did uh, some really good British shows as well. He's a really sharp uh, satirist. Um, and I just think that he like didn't have the romanticism uh, that like a Sorkin does. Um, well, it was a comedy rather than a drama. That's fair. But uh, Sorkin is funny. I mean, he can write funny dialogue. I mean, I, I just got we, you know just his uh, the trial of the Chicago Seven just came out and it's got some funny stuff in it. It's also enormously problematic with how he presents those issues, but whatever. Yeah, I mean. I mean <laughs> I write a film review, folks. If, uh, go check it out at ColumbiaDailyTribune.com. If, if people um, enjoy watching <laughs> one show or the other, then far be it from but me. But it's not real life. Far be it from me to deprive them of that enjoyment. That's right. If we didn't have TV or movies, you might as well just, you know, I can't, I can't repeat what that, never mind. Well, I, I enjoy playing Scrabble and reading mm -hmm. and, you know, you don't necessarily need TV. Someone had a theory that if you didn't have TVs or movies, you should sell heroin at 7-Eleven. I don't get that theory. Because you got to like figure out how to like make your brain stop for certain things. Okay. We can edit this out. <laughs> um, folks, I think I've gone completely off the rails. All it's right, been... we'll see you at 7-Eleven. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's been a rough week. Uh, <laughs> um, I hope this was helpful. I hope that you were able to sit through this nearly hour of me babbling on and you uh, found something useful in this. What do you think, Dan? You don't have to answer. We can keep going. Yeah, I, uh, <laughs> I found it enjoyable to sit here and talk with my friends. So, oh, okay. Do you think that this might be a little um, narcissistic that we did this? I think we were trying to like give useful information to people. Hey, narcissism is in vogue. Well, that's what podcasts are, right? Yeah. All right. Um, I'm going <laughs> to, if you have any, okay, this is, this is my pitch. I'm going to end with this. Um, I do uh, this kind of analysis of politics and legislation uh, for, um, for the real council that we have, which is the Renewable Energy and Efficiency Leadership Council. Uh, that's kind of a group of people that like kind of donate uh, to us and we kind of work with them on PSC issues and we work with them on getting them uh, notices about bids going on. If you're interested, the membership for that is as low as $1,000 a year. 
Uh, I know that's a lot of money for people, but it's like you're in a business that could be in a business expense because we do do education work. So email me at james at renewmo.org or um, uh, call me at 417-496-1924 if you're interested in joining that because you can get something that's more cogent than what you've uh, listened to here. Although I do find this to have been very helpful. I don't care what you think. I think it's probably going to be very entertaining. Um, that's my pitch for stuff uh, for this group. I do want uh, to indulge me for a second uh, with my dad. Uh, he asked that if anyone wants to make a, uh, any kind of memorial thing to him, that to make a donation to a group called the Ozarks Food Harvest, which is down in Springfield. It uh, provides, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a food distribution network for low-income people. He just, uh, he hated the idea that little kids would go hungry. Um, and uh, so we've been asking people to donate there. So if you're thinking about giving a donation of Renew Missouri, I'm just going to ask you this week, uh, to give it to Ozarks Food Harvest and to go to their website to do that. So I appreciate it a lot. Um, as far as whether you like this podcast or not, <laughs> I hope you will write a review of it on any of our uh, social network, on any of our podcast platforms, or share it on your social media platforms in case you uh, did find this interesting or edifying or anything or entertaining. Um, on behalf of Renew Missouri, my name is James Owen. Tim Opitz, thank you for doing this despite your misgivings. <laughs> and Philip, thank you uh, for running the boards and for your insight. Uh, and uh, with that, I will say thank you and we'll see you on the flip side.